Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Everybody and welcome to the third part of our three-part series, Hashkafa and Halakha for Women in the Workplace. I'm Chasi Rifkin. I'll be your host tonight. And thank you all for joining me. I would like to welcome to the screen, I have Dr. Yocheved Zeberman, an audiologist who grew up in Kern Heights, now lives in Los Angeles. And Chada Warwell Shill, did I pronounce that right? Uh, principal and founder of Warwell, oh, that's, I'm not getting that right, but Warren Lowe's Legal, co-chair at Chabad Institutions of Victoria Limited, and honorary secretary of Australian Friends of Ariel University. So a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Hannah Ofsen, who is, um, directs three wills, and today we're talking to an audiologist and a lawyer who kind of, in a way, run your own company. So I'm going to put it out there that we know that sometimes some of what we're going to talk about might be different if you are someone coming in as a secretary or the boss over you, um, someone who doesn't get to make the rules or the standards. And so if you'd like to join us, give us your feedback, tell us um, a little bit about how you um, work with your hashkaf and halach in the workplace. We'd be happy to hear from you. You can reach out to podcast at mikvah.org and let us know, and we'll feature you in a upcoming episode. So with that introduction, with that disclaimer, we know that you're coming from a position of being able to be flexible. Um, we still have so many um, halachas that maybe people aren't aware of. I know when I heard Rabbi Shusterman last week that there is so much that we need to um, think about, you know, not calling someone by their first names or and so now we're, we went through all the halakha and now we're going to visit the practical tips. How do you make this happen? So let's begin by introducing ourselves here. Um, Yocheved, if you could tell us a little bit about the type of work that you do. Sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Zeberman and I'm an audiologist. So I diagnose and treat hearing loss and I absolutely love what I do. So hearing is an extremely important sense because it enables us to communicate with everyone around us. So if somebody is born without hearing or loses their hearing later on in life, um, it can be extremely isolating. So thank God though we live in a day and age where technology is just so great that we can really help people all across the different age groups. So, you know, I'm just gonna give some quick examples. Many of you have seen those heartwarming videos of small babies, you know, who have their hearing aids or cochlear implants turned on for the first time and they can hear their parents, you know, to the small child who's sitting in my office whose face lights up when she realizes that when she opens up a bag, it crinkles, you know, to that rebellious teenager who lost his hearing from listening to music God knows what levels, um, who can finally hear his teacher when he sits in the back of the classroom, you know, to that actress who can hear everyone on set, to the middle-aged man who broke down crying in my office when he heard me call his name because he lost his hearing suddenly. And, you know, finally he can hear again and he knows he's going to get the job back that he lost because of his hearing loss, you know, to the grandmother who can 
finally communicate with her seven-year-old grandchild who has such a high-pitched voice. So these are just some of like the many success stories that I take part of. And I'm just so grateful to be in a profession, you know, where I can help people and change lives. Okay, so thank you for that and giving us a little bit of, you know, perspective on what it is that you do. Kana, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Hi, everybody. Um, I'm a I'm a lawyer, which uh, is <laughs> perhaps doesn't deliver the same miraculously positive results all the time, uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, it's something I'm equally passionate about. And um, I come from a family, and everyone's being lawyers, and I suppose uh, concerns about social. Uh, justice has always been a big part of uh, my family. I actually, when you, I just found it interesting when you said, Hussie, that, you know, I have my own firm. Actually, I have my own firm because I'm religious and because I couldn't manage to be uh, religious and observant of halakhas um, in every way I wanted and be in a partnership. So effectively, all these laws pushed me to open my own firm and pushed me to have my own practice. And so in some ways, they were the most, the biggest business coach ever. <laughs> um, and they've delivered amazing opportunities for me because I have not ever been able to just fit in. Um, I started practice in Perth in uh, about 20 years ago and Perth is a very small city in Australia and I was one of 10 women that covered their hair and uh, it was at the time the subject of much derision and uh, it but nonetheless it created a tenacity to keep on going which translated into being able to calmly and nicely stand my ground and I think it's taught me a lot about how to be even a better lawyer because uh, the the usual traps that you can fall into are just not available for me so uh, yeah so that's that and I've, I've been involved with the yeshiva center which is the official title Chabad Institutions of Victoria for six years and uh, that's been really enriching and I've been able to use you know contribute through my legal skills which has been really nice. Okay wow thank you um it's fascinating to hear how like what you could be like oh no poor me I have all these halakhas to follow but it ended up being the push to to make you be have your own firm and be your own boss okay so if you can, let's go and just get right into the discussion here of how do you set up your boundaries and at the same time, keep up a good relationship with the people you're working with. So even in both of you being the position of boss, you still have people you have to work with, whether it's your clients, whether it's your own secretaries, whether it's your own office staff, how do you make, maintain the boundaries when you're working with someone of the opposite gender, which is you know, what we're talking about here, where it becomes an issue. So I guess, Hannah, let's start with you this time. Okay. Um, so Creating the boundaries didn't always come easy, uh, especially shaking hands. That was really hard. Uh, and I tried and failed 
quite a few times and eventually just got used to not being embarrassed about it. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that, again, once you get past a boundary where you feel like something's too hard to do and you just do it anyway, it unlocks a whole lot of lessons that you otherwise wouldn't have accessed. And so how do I navigate staff? Well, generally the staff that, that I have, um, we've, because it's working from home a lot at the moment, there's not as much of a sort of potential for a, a, an atmosphere at work which might lead to blurring of boundaries. However, I think also uh, I tend to do everything with my husband. So um, in terms of he has his own business. So if there's clients that I feel a little unsure about, I'm not sure if they're, you know, where they're going with our professional relationship, I'll quite often, um, in, you know, if they want to go have a dinner meeting or something, I'll bring my husband. So I think it's uh i think that those sorts of you learn a various range of uh strategies i suppose to always either involve your husband or involve uh, or put yourself in a position where it's very public and not encourage uh engagement in private places Okay, thank you. So you said you keep your conversations in public spaces. I mean, Sister had mentioned last week that when someone, when a woman is in a in um in a work job, that her husband has to be on board. So that was also another example that you bring in here about that you talk to your husband when something seems uncomfortable. And I think it's also important for all of our um, audience to hear the validation that like you had said, you know, one of the hard parts for you was shaking the hand, and and sometimes you failed, but the more you did it and stuck to the principles, then the easier it became. So. Those are all great tips for everyone here. Uh, Dr. Zeberman, please tell us a little bit, how, how do you establish boundaries with your staff and where have you encountered failures or successes that we should know about? So just continuing on, I think part of being professional is having boundaries, you know, and as Jews, we really are so lucky that we have this set of boundaries. So, you know, with regards to the handshaking, it just becomes second nature when you say, you know, I'm so sorry, but for religious reasons, I can't shake your hands. You know, it just becomes tip of your tongue. When anyone sticks out their hand, you just kind of say that and it's not a big deal. Um, initially, though, I was also afraid. And I mean, I was coming from, you know, Crown Heights, a pretty sheltered environment where people don't stick out their hands. So going into the workforce, you know, I tried to hold a patient file or papers just to kind of make my hands look a little bit busy. Um, it kind of took the tip off of it. So that was definitely helpful. And then, you know, with regards to Yechud, my office door is always open and the secretary can come in at any time. So, you know, that's really not an issue. And I find that people actually respect boundaries and, you know, it is a foundation to having good relationships. So if anything, it's not taking away from, it's building. Okay, amazing. Um, so, you know, you both talked about examples where, um, you know, you have the boundaries and how you made that work while you're maintaining a good relationship, did you ever find that there ever had to be a time you have to be flexible on those standards? Was there, was there ever a need or reason? Oh, you know, like I'll bring up an example which you can, you know, knock down or think of your own. Like, oh, you know, I'm not supposed to shake hands, but maybe just as one person, you know, he's so important. So how would you say, like if someone asked you that question, is there ever room for flexibility in your boundaries? 
what would you say to that? Um, let's, we're going to switch turns. So Dr. Zabberman. Um, so I'm not sure I would call it flexibility, but yes, I am able to touch my patients um, if I am trying to diagnose their hearing loss or, you know, if they need help with amplification. Um, and actually, funny story, the last interview that I was on, the person giving the interview was a man. And of course, as soon as I walked into the room, he sticks out his hand, you know, and I politely said, I'm really sorry, but for religious reasons, you know, I can't shake your hand. Um, so, you know, he slowly pulled his hand back and then he went silent and I'm like, oh, oh no, this is not a good sign. And he's thinking, and finally, when he speaks again, he goes, you know, excuse my ignorance, but if you can't shake my hand, then you probably can't shake any man's hand. Is that correct? And I nodded and he's like, okay, well then how are you going to test their hearing? You know, so I explained to him that of course I am allowed for those purposes. Um, and, you know, before the interview was over, I had a job offer. So it definitely <laughs> didn't take away from <laughs> anything, not shaking hands. So. So there's a great example where it's not about like it might seem the same, but it's not. And obviously, if someone had a question, they would ask a rub about how it applies to them. But as your profession to do the work you need to do, then then yeah. the, the touch is allowed. Okay, and Hana. I, I, if it's an important person in terms of like a, a judge or you know in a in a public setting, I try and give prior notice so. Uh, say you know sometimes we have professional dinners for construction lawyers and uh, judges and lawyers and a bunch of people from the profession attend and we I just try and if I'm involved at all at a public level I try and give advance notice so people I don't have to be put in that position I again I take your habits point up as well of just trying to make your hands busy. Uh, clutches are brilliant for that because if you have a clutch in one hand and a glass of water in the other, you're absolutely, you know, too busy to shake hands there. So that's also a good strategy. And uh, I don't feel that there's that look, I don't think there's really a time where you, you have to be ashamed or embarrassed to not shake someone's hand. Uh, I do, however, I, I'm aware that there is some sort of hair tear, and I'm, I'm admitting ignorance here really of the exact details, but I think that there is a hair tear about not embarrassing someone. However, I think that um, it's, it's not really become, I, mean, I don't know the halacha in detail because I don't have, I don't have to use it. And so, and again, I think, that these days people are more respectful of people having values. I think the whole world is a little bit lost at the moment. And um, the pandemic's probably been the most brilliant thing for all of us uh, because you cannot shake someone's hand and not, uh, and just sort of, um, I, I do a sort of a humorous curtsy if I can't uh, explain to them. Uh, and they will think, oh, it's the pandemic. They don't wanna, um, shake hands because of that so that also has been I think that's just been the best thing that's happened to us because uh, it's promoted a lot more understanding about people consciously not touching other people. 
Right, so the pandemic made it a little bit easier for us, but like you said, there's no reason to necessarily, necessarily be flexible on boundaries. Regarding the halacha and the hetar, I think Rabbi Shlisterman mentioned it last week in last week's class, so if you missed that, you can go listen to that episode for clarity there. I, will. <laughs> I believe according to Chabad, um, you know, there is room for hetar in some communities, but not according to Chabad Pesach, but of course, if someone feels like their situation is different, we welcome all of you to speak to your Rav and your Mashpia, as we had mentioned in the beginning of the series that, you know, even when, whenever you're entering the workforce, you're going to, you know, this three-part series is not going to cover every single example, every scenario. And so definitely um, if you're individual situation, if you feel there's anything that you need to work out with a rub or that you're not sure about whether it's appropriate for you to be working in your environment, then you speak to your individual mashbia as well. We'll go back to that disclaimer. Okay. Um, can you please share some uncomfortable situations and how you dealt with it. Hana, go ahead. I was at a firm um, that I just moved city. Uh, we, we moved from Perth when my oldest son was five because we wanted to take him to a Chabad school. So <clears throat> we moved and I got a job at a, a firm in um in the city and uh one day I I think one of the hairs from my shatel fell out onto the desk or something and uh and I was talking to um one of the partners there and this was in the context the context was that I was desperately unhappy at this firm I they constantly criticized uh, women lawyers who are mothers they constantly said things like mother lawyers are not as good as um, other lawyers because they can't focus and a whole lot of other stuff that you'd never get away with saying now um, and so I, I looked down a little mortified that this hair had fallen onto his uh, I don't know I think it had fallen onto a document that I'd given to him and uh he he looked and he laughed he was like oh one of your wig hairs fell out and it was so humiliating in the context of all the other comments that had been made um that I felt mortified and uh, however I resigned from that firm and ended up starting my own firm because I just couldn't, uh, I just didn't even want to try and find another workplace that after that because there was just so many challenges to trying to just focus on legal work and then you get that sort of um, stuff at your workplace every day. It's just so unpleasant. So in some ways, again, the, the, I think if you, we think about, say, Shari Bitachon, which the Rebbe always promoted in terms of um, learning about Bitachon and Imuna, you, you, sometimes uh, I think in, in some parts the author says you've got to think about Hashem as like your best friend, the, the friend that's with you from the time you're born to the type of friend that's with you all the way through your life. And so sometimes Hashem creates these mortifying situations so that you can move on and do what you need to do. And if you were to compromise halacha and God forbid, take off your shaitu or have a less, um, you know, it, it cover your hair less or, or, or compromise the boundaries, you're actually putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be worse off. And 
so it's hard and I'm not perfect at it but I always try and remember that uh, that always comes to mind to me when I'm challenged about certain aspects of things in terms of like uh, work dinners or drinks um, it's the culture of um, you know lawyers and drinking is is quite strong because of the stress and the negativity that we deal with in our work and uh, I think that you just because you're fortunate to completely sidestep that unhealthy behavior it promotes better healthy mindset you're uh, you don't have as um, you're not engaging in the same substance abuse which unfortunately a lot of lawyers engage in uh, so again it protects you just interesting so what I'm hearing you say is that the way you've dealt with some of those uncomfortable situations is that you've you've learned to like avoid them like that's it you like left the firm or like you know drinking at a party together well you just you just don't so that's what do you tell them yeah. like when, they're, when they're having a work a work party and all the lawyers are going to meet at the bar or whatever and you're not doing that what what's your line what do you say oh there's so many because you know six kids uh <laughs> someone always has something on me okay um so you never uh, look, I'm very... i don't drink with with you know i i what, what like you don't actually say the reason why you're not joining you just give an excuse is that the way that you work with it? no I no just that usually not quite naturally there's a reason why I can't make it okay. uh it's a Shabbos or a Yontav or there's kids or there's something or a board meeting for Yeshiva or Ariel University is a little less intense um but also if I absolutely have to I'll bring my husband um, I'm also really lucky that I've, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of um, community members from the what we call the Adas community. Like there's very small parts of the Bells, Gur, um, Satmar communities in Melbourne. And uh, so I've, I've focused on trying to uh, grow my client base within the Orthodox community. A lot of them are in property and development and construction. Um, and so if if I'm meeting with them, it's so fantastic because uh, you, either they bring their wife or um, my husband has time to come with me or we speak over the phone. But it's also, yeah, it's just great because, yeah, if you, if you just have, um, if you have, if you develop your client base in a way that you're not having to deal with the, the people that are going to be engaging in that activity, it's another way of just, yeah, naturally avoiding it and I don't I try not to lie I just I really try not to say oh I'm sorry I can't and it's not real I prefer to be real with people and um and not not ashamed uh so yeah trying to trying to just be really proud of it and embrace it because I think that that's what the rebel wants from us I don't think the rebel wants us to kind of hide away and you know hide in the corner and and pretend that we have something on I think it's better just to say something but I just I just don't set it up I just try not to let it even arise that's put it that way right wow it's really inspiring I'm going to hope that our listeners out there find this as like I'm just like sitting in, in awe because it's, it's I'm sure as much as you're saying that it's a matter of fact I'm sure there's been plenty of times where it hasn't been so easy you have it can you share with us some uncomfortable situations and how you dealt with it 
Sure. So definitely not as traumatic as saunas, <laughs> but um, I have a lot of elderly male patients um, and most of them don't have filters, <laughs> you know, so um, I've actually had a man ask me if I would marry him. Um, you know, <laughs> very politely had to, you know, decline, tell him I'm already married and bring him back, you know, <laughs> to the task at hand. Um, I've had another patient who was a priest um, and he demanded that I call him father and it just really did not sit well with me. So I just, you know, completely completely avoided addressing him. Um, so yeah, my situations are definitely not as intense. Okay, wow. Uh, did you, do you ever have, Yochave, do you ever have a, a concept of like a work party or something where you'd have to like navigate that type of situation or that type of environment? So I've been really lucky that I haven't. Um, none of the companies that I've worked for had work parties. They just give gifts instead. Um, I have to say that if, if there was a work party, I don't think I would attend. Um, I don't see the reason for it. You know, as a doctor, you know, we have our patients. They're coming to us regardless of if we're going to a work party or not. So I just would avoid it. Right. Okay. Um, I know that, Hannah, you brought up a few examples of this, but we're going to start with Yochavid first here. Um, do you feel that you need to prove yourself and your value as a woman and or as a Jew? Like, do you feel in your workplace that you have to prove yourself? Um, so those are two totally, you know, different conversations, the woman one and the Jew one. So starting with the woman one, thankfully, no. Um, patients are choosing to come see me. So they know I'm a woman. I don't have to prove myself. It also happens to be that majority of my fields are female. So, um, yeah, yeah it makes it easier. <laughs> um, then again, you know, as a Jew, that's a lot harder. I feel like if somebody feels the need to prove themselves as a Jew, they're probably not in a very good environment. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's so much hate out there. And I think that proving yourself isn't going to take away hate. So the best thing, like Hannah mentioned, is to try to, you know, stay away from those situations if you can, you know. Um, I actually, in order to become an audiologist, we have to do what's called an externship, which is essentially like a fellowship. Um, and we have to go on interviews. And at the time of my interviewing, I happen to have been seven months pregnant. Um, and I've got so many condescending remarks about my Judaism and about, you know, being pregnant and all of that. And rather than accepting any of those offers, you know, I went with the company that respected me for what I am rather than for who I am. Um, and it's been just such a pleasant year and it was a pleasant experience. And I feel like that's really the way to do it. So if you can avoid them or get out of them, that's the best thing to do. Wow, okay. Um, it's almost like it's great that they gave you that, that, that feeling during the interview. So you already knew, okay, this yes. is actually not a place that I want to work at because of the remarks they're making to me. Exactly. Um, Hannah, tell us, I know you mentioned it briefly in your previous comments, but do you have, you know, you left having to prove yourself as a woman, you just left and started your own firm, but now currently as the owner, do you ever have to prove yourself as a woman and or as a Jew, which are two different components? Okay, so as a Jew, the culture has really evolved. I'm now in Melbourne, so Melbourne is the biggest community in Australia, uh, Jewish community, and it's the most observant and so the idea of, a, of an observant Jew, Jewish lawyer is uh, pretty acceptable these days. However, I'm very lucky that I, my office hosts the afternoon mincha um, once a week and we put on a, like a lunch 
uh, for the men that are professional men in, that are working in Melbourne City, uh, which is really special, by the way. And uh, so I was talking to one of the barristers who was the first uh, professional lawyer to wear a kippah uh, at work uh, about 30 years ago. And he said that he was um, harassed by, uh, by his clerk, his, uh, 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 the person that employs barristers is called a clerk. So the clerk had a really hard time accepting him. And I also had my first boss, he's now Supreme Court Judge, um, Rabbi Marcus Solomon, um, and he in Perth, and he also said, I think he topped his class at university, and um, he has a you know a full beard. Uh, he he got smicha from Crown Heights, and then came back at, to Perth and did his law degree, um, and he absolutely looks like a Jew. <laughs> um, and when he topped his class and went around for clerkships, he um, I recall him saying he could only get a job at one firm and certainly not, you know, one of what they call the top firms. Um, and it seemed absolutely linked to the fact that he was uh, wearing a beard uh, and looking very outwardly Jewish. So that, that thankfully, however, those sorts of um, ex examples aren't often um, encountered by myself uh, sometimes when I have uh, say Lebanese building clients they might make an anti-semitic joke if they haven't seen me um, or they haven't noticed the the uh, number of you know illustrations of the Rebbe in my office um, but uh, usually I just uh, move them along as clients sooner or later with regard to being a woman yeah that's definitely been a struggle uh, it, even on Monday, I had uh, a barrister before a hearing. We had, we had half an hour before a hearing to try and agree some orders. And the barrister was talking over me and I recognised that. And most of my female colleagues will agree that this is something that a lot of male lawyers try and do to females. They try and intimidate them by simply talking over them or interrupting them. So I've learned just to say really calmly, it would be really nice and probably most productive for our clients if you could let me finish my sentence. And I'll just say it over and over and over again until they be quiet or just give me some space to say what I think the order should be. And this barrister hung up on me. <laughs> and so we went into the hearing and he didn't get the orders he wanted. We could have agreed them by consent. It was a complete waste of time. But after the hearing, he rang up and he said, oh, <clears throat> I'm very sorry about that. I was very angry. I, I do apologise for hanging up on you. <laughs> so, yes, that still happens. But again, it's sort of like uh, being, it's nothing to do with being Jewish. Um, it's about the fact that sometimes men use simply as a negotiating strategy, aggression to intimidate. And you simply have to Deal, learn how to deal with it, whether you're, um, uh, you know, whether you're religious or not. I think every female in my profession deals with it. So, so I guess my question to you then is, you know, as a woman and a Jew, do you ever feel like, well, you know, I can't, 
I can't follow the halacha to the T because don't you understand? I need to prove myself as a woman. They can't see me as someone who's incompetent or that these rules, not joining the party or not shaking the hand is putting me at a disadvantage with the client. So I guess I'm kind of being devil's advocate in my question, but I'm going to reframe it a little bit about does it ever, does it ever come to your mind or can you see how it might come to someone else's mind and what you would tell them if they'd be like, well, you know, the fact that I need to prove myself in my field as a woman or as a Jew means that I need to compromise a little bit here or there because I need to, I need I need to like level the playing field. So what would you say to someone who comes to you with that so to speak, you know, argument or saying in my culture, in my job, I need to prove myself. What should I do? Um, kind of I think in both. Yeah, yeah, I think in both professions, you both audiology or law, you people go to you because you're good, or they think you're good. They don't. Um, most and and building a good reputation means getting good legal results or treating you know in, uh, you know obviously it's different for uh but um for for us eventually the quality work wins through because clients ultimately don't care what you are they just want you to get a good result for them uh so that's that's Number one, I just want to note also that I went on a professional tour with a number of women to Israel, and a number of female executives of banks, of major listed companies, etc. And we went on a, a sort of a tour to look at technology companies in Israel. And a lot of them were so refreshingly feminine. It was fantastic. So you're looking at the top female business uh, people in Australia and they the, this uh, tour happened five years ago we've still got a whatsapp chat every time someone gets uh, has a baby gets married um, or whatever there's mutual support and celebration and there's an app and, and there's an absolute absence of this need to prove or this uh, shying away from being an, a, a leading through feminine qualities, uh, we we tend to uh, underestimate how powerful a female perspective can be to and what it can bring to a situation of uh, problem solving, and uh, the and how it can help uh, in a corporate context. Uh, so the I would say that the most uh, the best way or the, the way to be highly successful in a professional world is to be uh, as authentic as you can. And when that's when you're a female, that means uh, having leading with some of the qualities that are unique to females. Thank you. Yocheva, do you have anything you want to add to that? Like how you would answer someone who, who tells you that they need to prove themselves? Yeah, so I really think that in today's world, people do respect boundaries. They do respect when you value yourself. And I think as long as you stick to it, you'll, you'll be fine. I've never had any issues um, because I was Jewish, because I was a female. Um, and again, you know, I try my best to do what's right. So, Okay, thank you. Um, that wraps up all of our questions that we have prepared here. I'm going to open the floor to the audience. If anyone has any questions, please go ahead and... Um, put them into the chat box. And if not, we will wrap up. So I'm gonna give a couple minutes, maybe um, while we're waiting for any questions to come in. Um, Hannah, if you can tell us a little bit about, um, 
I guess just words of support for everyone out there. You know, like we had said in the beginning, I'll say it again now for the people who joined us. We know that both of you are in a position where you're, so to speak, be able to make your rules. Like you said, you have your clients. You don't need to go to the office party. Um, you change firms kind of in order to be able to, you may start your own firm so you shouldn't have to um, have the difficulties that might arise as being a partner and having to work with someone else's demands religiously. But what would you say if you were talking to maybe someone who's young, just finished high school and starting to enter the workforce or someone at another stage of life, maybe they've been home with their children and now they're entering the workforce at 30 and they're entering the workforce in an area where they are working for other people. Um, what would you tell them as words of say, support or of encouragement that they can navigate what can sometimes be tricky situations like the holiday party, the shaking the hands, the calling males by the first name or anything else, what would be your words for them? I, I think that the, that Hashem uh, gives, allocates us income and it doesn't, we simply have to make a clear. And if a workplace is not suitable for you, there are other workplaces, definitely workplaces that will respect who you are. And Hashem is simply wanting you to partner with him to make this world uh, a place for him to dwell in. So we often think about that when we're going to shul or we're at home and we're baking color, but we need to think about that. It, it doesn't it doesn't diminish uh, when you walk into an office building. It's the same principle. So you just need to hold on to that and have some uh, imuna that Hashem is directing you in the right place to the right workplace and you don't need to compromise anything because he's with you every way. Thank you. And Yochaved, what would you like Yeah, so, you know, there are situations where it can be tough, especially in the beginning. Um, I think the most important thing is really just stand strong. You know, initially it's hard to say no when people want to do things that are uncomfortable or not right. But the more you do it, the more it becomes nature and the easier it gets. Um, so don't give up in the beginning. <laughs> Keep going. Um, and it's, you know, you'll be okay. Okay. Thank you. I don't see any questions in. I guess, you know, our conversation here was pretty straightforward. Um, I'm going to remind everybody that this was the third in a three-part series. We spoke with Hannah Offson of Three Bows on tips for maintaining boundaries she discussed a lot of them. Rabbi Shusterman last week from California gave us a halakhic overview of some of the um, issues and concerns that comes up in any sort of workplace environment. It includes, it include, you know, we're talking here professionally in professional environments, but we're also talking about our mice days. You know, if you are working for a shliach, if you are working in a school and there's teachers, men and women, this comes up in every environment. So it's not only when we're in a secular or not Jewish environment, these issues may arise. They also arise in every job when we're, when we're working in a not female only office. So, um, and even within a female only office, we have clients or people that we're working with. So this can come up everywhere. So I invite you all to listen to the entire three part series. And also, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, and I'll say again, if you are someone, like I mentioned before, that is starting out or has experienced being someone who's working within a company and doesn't get to set the rules and wants to share your tips, 
please reach out to podcast.mikva.org. Before I close up, a question did come in. So, um, okay, this is interesting. We just talked about this a little bit, but we'll still bring it up. I think, I think it brings up another point. Hannah, this question is for you. What made you go into law? If you know that it's not going to be so embracing of Jewish women in terms of family, you know that the hours were going to be difficult. You know that maybe some of the male barristers might over you know, talk you. Some of the examples you brought up, what, what made you want to go into law? You mentioned social justice in your family. Is there anything else you want to tell us about? I think that law is a profession where, just like Torah, you never stop learning. Uh, it brings out the best in you. Yes, there's lots of not very, you know, fabulous people, but uh, it is, uh, it, it provides unparalleled opportunity to, um, to be always engaged and learning in a professional sense. When I say unparalleled, I'm talking more the humanities uh, because uh, I mean, it, it provides an opportunity to, uh, to engage on, on and always be challenged. And it also provides an opportunity to really change people's lives. I didn't talk about it much, um, but at this time, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a fabulous, fabulous profession, despite the challenges. We're talking about the challenges today because that's the podcast, but <laughs> it doesn't mean it's not a fantastic profession. It, it is amazing. And also uh, the, uh, I think uh, at least my great grandfather, grandfather, father are all lawyers. So I guess it's, <laughs> it's something that is always going to take, uh, take hold of me in some way. Well, wow, thank you. Okay, so I'm glad you got the opportunity to let us know about all the like, you know, wonderful parts of your job. I know you had spoken about in the beginning, like about how life changing it can be when you help someone here. Would, if you were, um, I guess it brings me to a question because we talked about, you know, telling someone who's in, like you said, like Parnassus is a CLE, everyone will find something that works for them. Would you tell someone that one profession or another is gonna be more family friendly, more religious friendly, or in every profession and every type you can make it work? What would you say to that, Yochebet? Um, so there definitely are professions that are more uh, friendly <laughs> to Jewish women. Um, but again, wherever you are, it really can work. Um, and I actually wanted to end up with a really beautiful story. So I once had a patient who was 97 years old and she um, came into my office and after I introduced myself, she looks at me and she goes, you know, your hair is just so beautiful. And I'm like, oh, thanks. It's a wig. Like I didn't even think twice. Um, and she's looking at me like, you know, with a quizzical look. So I just explained further, you know, I'm an Orthodox woman and as a religious woman, I cover my hair once I get married. It's only for my husband, you know, and that was that we finished, you know, with our session. Anyway, she came in a couple of weeks later and she says, you know, you've changed my life. And I'm looking at her and I'm, now I'm looking at her with a quizzical face, like, how did I change your life? I've met you one time. So she said that she's never met an Orthodox Jewish woman in her life. And she was just so impressed that I would cover my hair only for my husband that she actually started, you know, looking for information on Judaism at 97 years old. And it happened to have been COVID time. So she found tons of Zoom classes that she just could not get enough of. 
And she told me that for the first time in her life, she was going to go to service for Rosh Hashanah. Um, so, you know, again, I didn't do anything out of character. All I did was, you know, be myself. And that really uh, brought somebody back to her roots at 97 years old. So we just never know the power we have just by being ourselves. So it's important to stay true to that. That is, that is really amazing. Um, is there anything else, Hannah, that you wanted to add as we close up? Oh, I think you'll have its story so beautiful. Uh, the, I, I think if you believe, it, for sure, you know, being a marine biologist where you by, by definition can't maintain laws of SNES, uh, for example, maybe, maybe I suppose um, you could, but mostly I assume you couldn't. So for sure there are things, or you can't be a, someone who has to work on Shabbos. But beyond that, uh absolutely if you have a passion um uh then i think that you can absolutely achieve it and the and not only achieve but thrive in whatever your profession is and the boundaries are only going to make you a better professional and a more contented person no matter what choice you make right okay and i'll just bring it back again we mentioned the beginning the middle of the end but i never know when someone comes in or out of the conversation but of course you know we talked about in any profession we can make these boundaries work but of course the discussion of what would be an appropriate environment or appropriate profession for you as a jewish woman really depends a lot on your context your background where you're holding in your life and so of course for every person, it is absolutely imperative that you have a mashpia and that you talk to that mashpia. And as you enter the workforce at whatever stage, or even if you're well within the workforce and maybe something in these three-part series made you stop and think, hmm, you know, I never thought twice about whatever. And, you know, the people you've been talking to are making it obvious that you can't do this or that. And any sort of questions individually, um, please reach out to your own Rav, to your own Mashpia. There's no, these podcasts are for informational purposes only. They never replace the individual guidance. Um, Dr. Zeverman, and what what's the term? Curious. What When I say Dr. Zeverman, what would I say to Hannah? What, what would I call you? Just Mrs. Schill? Or is there a, a term? <laughs> Hannah's fine. <laughs> It really was a pleasure to speak with you this evening. I think it gave me a lot of food for thought and I hope it inspires everyone who listens to this. You know, you're in professional environments and you have made it work. We need to have that pride um, and really take uh, forth. So thank you all for joining us. As always, our recordings are up at mikfor.org forward slash audio. We have podcasts on so many topics that sometimes I feel like our podcast is the best kept secret. So please help us make sure that it's not a secret. Share it with your friends. You have a podcast that you loved within our um, series. Share it with your friends so that they listen. If all of you hit the subscribe button on our podcast, it really will help other people find it. And then you'll know we currently have hundreds of episodes over the past three years on every topic related to the Jewish woman. Halacha Reviews and Taras of Mishpacha, Halachas of Yechud, this workplace um, series, and so many more that I'm not even saying right now, but we, I invite you all to take a look, mikvah.org forward slash audio. Thank you all for joining us, and good night. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, 
please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.